Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to your next installment of On the Move, presented to you by Move Outdoors. I'm Tyler, joined today by our two fellow hosts, Zach and Ryan. And today we're going to be diving into Zach and Ryan's experience out-of-state hunting. Uh, we're all originally from Pennsylvania, and Zach and Ryan both ventured outside of our borders to chase game in numerous states, and we're going to dive into that today. First, we're going to start off with each of them individually talking about their experiences out-of-state, what they've hunted, you know, their successes, and we'll see what the conversation leads us from there. Uh, we'll start with Zach. All right. So um, I probably got into out-of-state hunting. Um, actually, right after college was probably my first out-of-state hunt. Uh, I to Virginia with Ryan on a turkey hunt. Um, and I've hunted, since then, I've hunted... Virginia, Maine, Maryland, um, Michigan, Wyoming, South Dakota, and I think that's everything so far. <laughs> but I've been kind of kind of all over and chased a variety of species. I think through that I've I've chased five different species of game. So, and I also um, did hunt once in Saskatchewan for waterfowl. So, I have a vast background here awesome what about you ryan so like zach led off with we both hunted turkey in virginia um also during college through the nwtf uh different auctions i went to maine to hunt turkey by myself and then again the following year um my dad and i both went to maine to hunt turkey um other than that I've hunted Sika deer in Maryland. Um, I've hunted mule deer in Montana uh, with my dad. And Zach and I obviously went out to Wyoming last year, again, for archery mule deer. And I believe that's all for me. But this coming fall, I am headed to Colorado uh, with my dad for elk. So most of my hunting's been east coast related other than my two trips out west so far awesome now obviously we're all here from pennsylvania we have a vast state a nice variety of animals here in the state what drove you guys to chase animals outside of our state i can say for me um starting off my first out-of-state hunts were turkey um and for me, it was just an experience. Um, it was affordable at the time through the NWTF auctions that we were able to to win. Um, and for me, it was more about an experience and also learning from uh, a guide. When I was in college, I wasn't. I had a couple of years of experience turkey hunting under my belt, but I was by no means an expert. And still, I'm not an expert by any means. But um, it was more to get get a new uh new look at some different territory different ways of turkey hunting and also expand my knowledge through hunting with someone that uh basically does it for a living so that's how i got into it i would say um and then from there it just expanded into opportunities with my dad uh knowing that he's getting up in age and he obviously won't be able to do it forever. So we want to try to take advantage of this every couple of years if we have the chance. So that's kind of where it, where it went for me. 
Yeah, and uh, for myself, um, kind of similar to Ryan's story, uh, I started with Turkey because it was cheap, and uh, through the NWTF hunt auctions, um, we were able to get in with a good guide that same year for pretty low cost, and it was a really fun hunt. And then um, I've always kind of wanted to hunt out of state. Uh, growing up, my dad hunted New York in the Adirondacks quite a bit, and then he he went west on a Wyoming mule deer hunt, and then the last oh I'd say five six years now he's been going down to Tennessee for uh, whitetail, and I just always love listening to the stories when he came back, and it seemed like his out of state hunts made him a better hunter in state when it comes to whitetail because that's primarily what he chased. Um, and I just wanted those experiences, those out-of-state experiences, check out new terrain, new places. And and I guess I have a bit of a, a wanderlust in that regard where I just want to check out new stuff, new country, new animals, and get out there. Now, both of you have gone on DIY and guided hunts. Uh, what's your preference in that state? Um, between Between DIY and guided, I would say my only experience with DIY was with Zach out in Wyoming this past year, and we were both successful. Um, so to me, the, the reward at the end of a DIY successful hunt was better than any of my other guided hunts. But that being said, I really benefited from my guided turkey hunts, um, success wise and especially knowledge wise. So everything that I learned from, those hunts and being in the woods on turkeys consistently just the experience of being on the game that you're after and different situations that come up during those hunts you can take it back to your home state and you can really capitalize on your experiences that you had out of state so for example in maine i mean we would we'd be set up in the dark under under what the guide knew was good roosting areas, something that I didn't do in the past. I'd show up at one of my family farms in the morning, I'd listen, and then I'd just chase, chase gobbles around. And I knew that I was able to get on birds that way, but it took me a long time to be successful and actually get them to come in. So just different tactics and strategies and different ways of calling, different ways that the turkeys interact, different things that you do that make the turkeys do something else, when to move, when not to move, just different things like that that you learn when you're constantly on birds in turkey hunting um, really helped me back in Pennsylvania. And I've been able to be, be more successful since I had those experiences on that hunt. Um, I'm actually a little bit different from, from Ryan in this aspect uh, personally, I prefer the challenge of a DIY hunt. Um, I kind of have that, that mentality of if someone else can do it, I can do it where, uh, I almost, I guess, get into like a competition in my head about it, where if I know there's people out there getting it done on public land in a week in whatever state on a DIY hunt, I think to myself, why can't I do that? And I get out there and do it. But that that said, I do really enjoy a guided hunt um, when it's a good guide. 
And I've unfortunately kind of had mixed results with guides. Um, I'm not going to name names, but uh, particularly last year, I went on a bear hunt up in Maine with a guide service that really likes to promote over Facebook and seemed like it was a pretty good operation until I got up there and 14 guys in camp. Nobody really had a good time in camp. Um, one bear was taken across those 14 guys and it was a 50 pound cub, which is legal in Maine. And you know, the hunter was happy. So good for them, but that's not what that, that was a bad experience, especially when you're paying $2,000, and taking a week of vacation to go on a hunt like that. So I think, I think guided hunts are a good thing provided you really do your research on the guide, which, um, I guess is something we really didn't do that trip. Otherwise I've had a couple other guided hunts that, that went really well. Um, like Ryan said, him and I hunted Maryland a couple of years ago, and that was an awesome trip. It was three days between the two of us. We got three seek a deer in two days. Um, Virginia was a fun trip. Unfortunately, Ryan did all the turkey hunting. Well, turkey killing, I should say. Uh, <laughs> but I still had fun. It was a good time. And then um, I don't necessarily know that I'd call it guided, but in Saskatchewan, when I went out for, for waterfowl, uh, that was actually on a work trip. And just a couple of the guys we were working with said, hey, go buy your hunting license and we'll take you out do hunting one morning. So we did that. And that was a lot of fun too. So let's say you guys have a once in a lifetime opportunity to go shoot your dream animal. Are you going DIY or are you going guided? With for me with a tag like that. So for me, probably if I had to choose right now, my, uh, I, I hard to say probably moose would be, the hunt that I think I'd probably only do once, maybe twice in my entire life being only 27. Now, if I do it once in the next 20 years and if I could afford it, <laughs> um, that would be something that I'd willing be willing to spend the money on for a guide to do a once in a lifetime hunt like that. Um, just because, I mean, it's not like whitetails, not like mule deer. It's not like antelopes. There's not, massive populations of moose running around. I mean, you might hit pockets of where you have 10 or 20 moose in a couple square miles and that's a pretty good population. But as far as me being able to do enough research in Alaska or Yukon territory up in Canada or even East coast of Canada, I, for me with the job I have, it's probably not realistic for me to do a lot of research to ensure that I'm successful on a seven or 10 day hunt with a once in a lifetime tag like that. So in my opinion, and with the game that I would be after for my hunt, I would probably do the guided. If I lived in a different place, I might choose differently. If I lived in upstate New York, or if I lived up in Maine and I could get up into Canada and do a little bit of scouting in the summer, potentially, um, maybe I would change my mind, but if I was going to go out to the Yukon, I would definitely be spending the money on DIY. And obviously it would take me years and years to, uh, to save up, to do the guide a ton. I'm actually going to echo Ryan's sentiment on this. Uh, I have a handful of, 
of kind of once in a lifetime tags that I'd really love to do in my lifetime. Um, and actually a fair bit of them require a guide, like absolutely brown bear in Alaska, um, but that requires a guide. Um, I'd love to, to do a, an Alaskan moose hunt that doesn't require a guide. You could do drop camps, but just because it costs so much to go do a hunt like that. And it's not something I'm going to be able to do every year. I think I probably would hire a guide for that or um, are that I just would be nearly impossible without a guide. So like next year, I don't have anything booked, but I'm really wanting to do a mountain lion hunt with dogs next year. And if I don't get a guide or a dog handler for that, I'm just wasting my time. There's no point in even going out there. And then Probably the the uh, that would absolutely um, necessitate a guide in my mind would be if I ever happen to draw my Pennsylvania oak tag that I've been applying for. If I happen to draw that, I think I'd just have to get a guide because it's it's not written as once in a lifetime, but your odds of drawing twice are so low that it's once in a lifetime. Right. I think we're all in agreement on the Pennsylvania elk tag being from Pennsylvania, how, how few people draw it. I mean, I think you almost have to, I mean, you don't have to, obviously there's some guys that might live oh, out I, there. They, they might take two weeks of scouting or whatever. But for me, when you draw that tag, it's definitely worth spending the money. <laughs> exactly. If I, if I drew, like if I lived in Western Pennsylvania and I drew an elk tag, I, may not hire a guide but living uh, where i was from in pennsylvania eastern pennsylvania um going up there and and really scouting especially with how little time frame the pgc really tells you between when you draw the tag and when the hunt actually is i don't know that i could accomplish that much scouting and um now especially now that i moved to iowa i mean there's zero chance i can do any scouting on that so absolutely i'd be hiring a guide you guys have put, uh, brought up a point uh, repeatedly between the two of you that guided hunts, you know, significantly are more expensive, obviously, than a DIY hunt. <clears throat> the person's going to be spending that kind of money. What kind of research are they supposed to do beforehand? So looking at the guides, um, the, the type of hunt, what should they be looking for if they're going to be spending that kind of money on a hunt? So one thing I'd say towards this is... If you can, and you're a member of the National Wild Turkey Federation, Mule Deer Foundation, National Deer Association, whatever, and they're auctioning off hunts, I have never had a bad experience with one of those guides. I have never had a bad experience with a hunt that I won through a conservation organization auction or um, giveaway or raffle or whatever. I've always had a good time on those hunts. Um, but if you're going to select a guide yourself... I would really take a lot of time. Ask the guide for references, honestly. Email the guides that you're looking at. Narrow down your list to three, four, five guides. Email them and ask for a list of references from previous hunters. Follow them on social media. Uh, make sure that they're posting animals on social media. A lot of guides now are using social media to get their platform out there and really say, like, this is this year you know i'm a western hunting guide and i got i had 25 guys in camp for antelope and 23 of them got an antelope well 
you're probably going to do pretty good then. Um, especially if you go back multiple years and they've been doing that for multiple years. The big red flags I'd look for is a cheap website. Um, like if they have a very bare bones kind of website that doesn't really look that good, it's one of two things. They're either not very tech savvy, which is possible, or they're not a very good guide. Um, watch they interact with people who are, are curious about the guide service on social media. You know, if they kind of have a used car salesman vibe, that might be a bit of a red flag. Um, and uh, that's a red flag that me and my dad, unfortunately, ignored last year, like I was saying, when we went up to Maine. Um, and don't go, my other advice would be don't go with the cheapest guide. I mean, if you're looking at, uh, um, you want to do a whitetail hunt in Missouri, okay? And you're looking at 10 guides, don't pick the cheapest one. That's my suggestion right away. Don't pick the cheapest one. Take the most expensive two and the cheapest two and cross them off the list and do your research on the rest. I would say my experience um, when I was, well, my dad and I were looking at our first guided hunt that was outside of a an NWTF convention. Um, and like Zach said, I can second the fact that um, any hunt that I've been on through the National Wild Turkey Federation has been great. And they've, they're consistent contributors to these auctions year after year. A lot of these guides are donating their hunts uh, to the auctions and they're all members of the organization as well. So it, I can't speak for everybody. Maybe some people have had bad experiences, but I think the majority of the guides that they're um, having for those hunts are reputable and they really want to do well by the organization and by their clients. Um, as far as my other out-of-state hunts, um, my dad and I did a pretty extensive amount of research on our upcoming elk hunt and our mule deer hunt. That was a couple years ago. Um, we actually were in contact with three or four for the mule deer hunt. And actually, I've seen this guide service. I won't mention but I had seen this guide service on the outdoor channel. Um not to say that everybody that hunts on the outdoor channel <laughs> is hunting with high quality guides. They might have a personal relationship and they get treated differently than other people do, or because they're famous, they get preferential treatment or things like that. But um, the reviews, if you can read Google reviews, if you can read reviews on the website, testimonials, um, like Zach said, a lot of these Guide services have high quality websites with photos of uh, previous successes. And actually recently when I was doing my research of a couple different uh, elk outfitters, a couple of the websites I noticed had direct references of repeat clients that have been hunting off and on with the guide service 20 years. Um, so for me, that was, an immediate checkbox saying like, Oh wow, this is reputable. They even have people, they even have their references, contact information on the website. These people have signed on to say, yep, we'll vouch for this guide to say that we had a great time. They're a high quality organization, high quality guides and success rates. So if you see things like that on the website, I mean, 
could they fake it? Yeah. But if you see things like that and you actually do your homework and maybe make a call or two to some of these references, I'd say you'd be better off going with those. Um, and we're looking forward to our, to our hunt in Colorado. I mean, that's, we went with one of those guides that had high quality reviews and high quality references listed on their website and, and this uh, active social media account as well. What you just mentioned is something I should have mentioned too. I mean, repeat clients is a massive green flag because that means oh, people are having such a good time with that client and they're having enough success with, or with that guide service, sorry. And they're having enough success with that guide service that they want to keep coming back and spending their money with them. That's, that's a huge, huge green flag. Right. And I don't know what these repeat clients have in their budget. Um, <laughs> cause I, I don't have the money to be a repeat client very many places, but, um, just seeing something like that is just awesome as far as your research is concerned, cause you can narrow it down pretty quickly to high quality, high quality guides. Now, outside of the NWTF and other conservation auctions, how are you guys going about finding these guides? Are you Googling them? Are you asking your friends? What's the spot that you find these guides? So there's a, there's a couple different hunting apps too that have been out. I know um, that list list guide services. You can filter them by state and different things like that. Um, my, my first place to research was always Google just type. So for example, you type in Colorado elk outfitters, it'll give you 10 or 20 of them on those first two pages of Google. And you just go down the list, check the websites, take some notes, who's got a good looking website. And again, the, some of the best guides could be backcountry guides that you only hear of. They only have a phone number and you got to call them. They take you back in there and that's great. But a lot of the current guides are going to have an Instagram account and a high quality website. Um, so for me, I was able to narrow it down to four or five and then I send my emails and then I judge based on kind of, I mean, everybody is busy. You don't know if they're out in a camp for two weeks or on another hunt for three, four weeks, but I judge the timeliness of the response and the amount of information and transparency that the guide gets back to me with. So if I ask a couple questions, if they answer all of them, they say, let me know if I can do anything else for you for help. Um, that first impression when you have your first contact with the guides that you've narrowed it down to is also really important. And for me, my guide that I'm going to in September has been in contact um, multiple times in the spring and summer sending checklists of items to bring and letting us saying, do you have any questions? Here's what we say to prepare. Here's how we we're going to have you shoot, make sure you're sighted in for this, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. So um, aside from the main hunt that I went on last year for bear, um, which was primarily through, through facebook which again was a mistake um a lot of my guide research has been through google and then also through sports shows um so i find going to the harrisburg great american outdoor show really helpful um if you can go to any local show that's going to have guides from or not even 
really looked. If there's a show in your state that's going to have guides from across the United States, a specific animal you want to hunt, I would suggest going and talking to them. First, it's going to give you a, a great idea of what the typical price for those hunts are. And second, it's going to give you that face-to-face -face interaction with guides that you're not going to get anyway, any other way. But like Ryan had said, um, so when Ryan and I went on our seek a deer hunt in Maryland, we went through a guide and we compiled a list of four or five different uh, seek a deer outfitters on the eastern shore. And we emailed all of them and said, this is what we're looking to do the hunt. This is how we want to do the hunt. Um, what kind of success rate are you guys seeing? What dates do you have available? Uh, what are the do's and don'ts? What do we need? All that that kind of stuff that you'd, you'd ask for a hunt. And based on their responses is kind of how we narrowed down our guide selection. And the guide we went with was pretty awesome. Now, uh, I will say, uh, from going to the Great American Outdoor Show, this last year, if you're looking for Maryland Seek a Deer hunts, they have gone up significantly in price since Ryan and I did them. Um, they're now charging upwards of 1500 for three days is what I'm seeing, which is quite a bit more money than what Ryan and I paid, but, uh, you know, <laughs> such is business. So if you do have a hunt, you want to like, if you want to go, uh, you, you want to go elk hunting in Montana, but, you know, that's going to take a couple points to draw the tag. Um, I'd suggest talking to the outfitter, and if the outfitter knows, hey, this tag takes four years to draw, see if they'll let you book four years in advance, because that locks in that price for right now, and they might be booked two years in advance anyway. So, this is kind of a, a concept for some, but... Um, a lot of times guides are booked years in advance and you really want to do and what you want to do it and commit yourself to it two, three, four, five years in advance, even depending what you're going to hunt. And just, just to reiterate that my elk hunt has been planned longer than my wedding has. <laughs> so that goes to show you how far in advance sometimes some of these guide services are booked and uh, I mean, does it create a planning issue? Potentially. But if you have a guide that's fully booked for the following year, chances are it's probably a pretty reputable service. Great point. Now, since you both have had experience DIYing, were you guys just sitting on the couch one day and say, I want to chase mule deer out west? What really got you going in that direction? You know, what motivated you guys to go do that? Well, I believe Zach and I were sitting on a deck saying, hey, we want to go out west. But <laughs> more, of it, more of it came from Zach's idea, so I'll let him talk on that. <laughs> yeah, so since I've done more DIY hunts here, DIY out-of-state hunts, um, I've done DIY Maryland whitetail, um, DIY Sika deer in Maryland, uh, DIY Wyoming mule deer and antelope, and DIY Michigan deer twice. Um so the first DIY out-of-state hunt that I ever went on was for antelope, pronghorn, whatever you want to call them, in Wyoming. And uh, yeah, it was kind of just, you know what? I want to go on this hunt. I really want an antelope. 
and I tried convincing some people who may or may not be on this podcast right now to go with me, but they were busy so and couldn't go. Um, <laughs> so I decided, you know, if it's something I want to do, I'm just going to go do it myself and and see how it goes. At the very least, I learn a lot if I if I don't fill the tag, which I didn't end up filling the tag. I spent uh, I spent eight days hunting Wyoming with the bow in early September for a pronghorn, primarily doing spot and stalk. I did do one day of trying to sit in a blind and I sat in a blind for nine hours and no pronghorn ever came to the water hole. And that's probably because there was snow, uh, two days earlier. So everything kind of greened up a little bit, a little colder. They didn't really have that pull to the watering hole, which I realize now is a mistake a couple years later. But anyway, um, yeah, it was just, I want to do this. I watched videos of guys doing spot and stock pronghorn hunts with the bow online and decided, you know what, that's what I want to do. And I accept that they lead to an unbuilt tag, but it's what I'm going to do. And I did it. And then later that fall, actually, uh, I did another DIY hunt and was actually something that I really wanted to do. Um, my, the place I was working at the time told me, hey, you're going to Michigan for a month from mid-October to mid-November. And I said to myself, well, I'm not missing hunting for a month mid-October to mid-November, so I'm taking my bow and everything with me to Michigan. And that's exactly what I did. I found a piece of public land near where we were working. And about two weeks in, I managed to get a buck. And... I've never learned more on a whitetail hunt than I did on that hunt. Honestly, uh, totally different terrain than what I'm used to. Totally different, um, rules, regulations. And it, it's something that, that, uh, I'm really proud of that. I went out to, that I went and did that, that I was able to get a deer, on Michigan public land. And I actually didn't even shoot the biggest buck that I saw. I ended up seeing about 140 inch 10 point. He came to three yards on the wrong side of the tree. I call him heartbreaker. There's a video on the YouTube channel called the story of heartbreaker. Um, but I ended up shooting a nice respectable two and a half year old, about 80 inch eight point. And for the next two weeks, actually, I was a bit of a legend with the people we were working with. Cause nobody could believe I came from Pennsylvania, spent two weeks on public land and managed to kill a buck. Um, yeah, and really since then, just DIY hunting has been something I really enjoy doing. Uh, I went back to Michigan the following year, killed a buck and a doe. Uh, I did, well, Ryan and I did DIY mule deer in Wyoming this last year. We both killed bucks. And then, like I said, I've done some DIY hunting in Maryland for Sika and Whitetail. And unfortunately, I wasn't successful but I learned a lot and uh, that was one weekend for Seco, one weekend for whitetail. And the weekend I went down for whitetail, I had a couple close encounters, decided to pass a spike buck. And when it came to Seca deer, um, I had a couple go by, but didn't have any within shooting range, but still learned a lot, new unique hunt. And uh, yeah, I, I guess it is something that I, that I do just sit on the couch one day and decide I'm, I'm going to go do it. Like this year I'm going to South Dakota DIY mule deer. I'm doing 
DIY cow elk in Wyoming. Um, and then I'll be back in Pennsylvania trying to trying to fill a Pennsylvania deer tag and and possibly maybe going to hunt Minnesota and Michigan or sorry Minnesota and Wisconsin. Awesome. Let's say you are sitting on your couch one day and you say you want to go hunt something. What's your first step? First step is uh, make sure you can actually draw the tag if you want to do it that year. Um, especially if it's a Western animal, a lot of States now, what any thing that you want to chase out West, at least anything with antlers or horns or any male animal, uh, generally has a couple year weight. Um, and units that don't have a couple year weight generally are either low population density or low public land access. I, now, if you're willing to pay a trespass fee, you still might be able to do it that year. But uh, other than that, I'd recommend it, it starting your research immediately. It also depends on the weapon, though, doesn't it, Zach? It does for some states. For some states, they have seasons broken up by weapon. Um, but some states don't. And some states, uh, even in archery, can take a couple years to draw, depending where you want to draw. Uh, there's a couple of real high-profile tags in in states like utah and colorado and stuff where even if it is um muzzleloader or archery it's gonna it's gonna take years before you draw that tag um but i wouldn't let that stop you by by any means i wouldn't let that stop you if you wake up tomorrow morning and you decide i want to go hunt mule deer first thing you should do is look at where you can draw a mule deer tag and decide what kind of terrain you want to hunt those mule deer in. Um, and then after you decide what terrain or what state you want to hunt those deer in, I'd start doing some e-scouting, honestly. Um, all of these game and fish agencies have excellent tools for planning your hunt, especially out west. Um, a lot of these game fish agencies publish their population studies you can look at population data online you can look at hunter results online and then one thing i'd also add is a is a go hunt membership is extremely helpful when it comes to planning odds ryan what do, what do you what do you think i'm sure i'm missing stuff well i would say the i mean like you said the maps once you once you decide where you want to go i mean you had some more knowledge of the area that we hunted in Wyoming from being out there with pronghorn, but just getting, getting a general feel of the area that you think you're going to be able to draw that tag, um, looking for water sources, different, uh, terrain features of the unit, where the public land is, where you can access it because you might have to have a two hour hike to the terrain feature that you want to get to from where you need to park to access that. So, Learn that the um, hard way. Used a lot of Onyx. Um, Onyx, I think, is one of, if not the premier uh, map app for hunters. I know I I use mine all the time, even on different properties around home here, just to keep track of trail cameras, tree stands, uh, mark different scrapes and different places where I've seen deer. Um, it also has when you make a a uh, marker on a map 
you can take notes on that marker uh, to leave yourself reminders or take notes on what happened or when you want to check it, what time, et cetera. So there's a lot of data that you can hold in that app and a lot of, uh, a lot of area that you can cover uh, from your couch by using that app. I guess we could call DIY hunts a more accessible way for, you know, regular Joes to hunt. I let's call them exotic animals, but animals outside of their normal, you know, experiences. Um, right. So I think, you... I think my hunt, I think compared, well, Zach and I did it with a bow, which makes it more difficult, obviously, um, than a rifle. But mm -hmm. um, I believe all in Zach and I probably spent a third of what I spent on my Montana guided hunt a couple of years earlier. So it is, it is much more affordable, but you also have to do a lot more homework unless you have somebody going with you, like Zach, that has knowledge of the area that you're going. And, you know, I, I should just put this out here too. While I have a rough idea of the area where both of us ended up killing our mule deer, uh, I had never stepped foot on either of those properties before. So... Right. <laughs> I just kind of had a basic idea of the layout of the area. Since since they are more accessible, does that open your opinion on whether or not you want to take your bow or your rifle? Like, we are you willing to miss out on an animal if it means you get to shoot one with your bow, or are you taking something that guarantees you a kill the first trip out? I'm probably <laughs> unique from Ryan in this aspect that on a DIY hunt. I very much prefer taking my bow um, because I'm I'm not afraid of going with an unfilled tag. Um, that and I absolutely love bow hunting. Bow hunting is what I live for. Not really, but I mean that is that is my favorite thing to do. Um, there's just something about the bow and needing to get the animal close that just really really drives me. Um, I, I like the, this, this is a little egotistical, I suppose, but I like the feeling of knowing that I beat the animal at their own game because it is hard to get inside that bubble of let's, yeah, on a Western hunt, we'll say 60 yards on an, on an Eastern hunt, we'll say 40 yards. Um, it's hard to get inside that animal's bubble without them knowing that you're there. And, and I like that extra challenge and I like knowing that I can do it. Um, but in the same token, uh, I'm not opposed to taking a rifle. I just, the hunts I've done to this point have been with the bow. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I grew up rifle hunting until I basically taught myself how to shoot a bow. Um, so unless something drastic changes, I'm always preferential to rifle hunting. DIY or guided. Um, Zach talked me into taking the bow and we really did a lot of shooting that year, a lot of practice. So I was, I was confident when we went out there. Um, but given the choice, <laughs> I would take a rifle. Uh, for me, it's kind of a cost, cost benefit analysis that I do in my own head. So if I'm, I'm more okay taking what I would consider 
not not a lesser weapon, but a more a weapon that requires more skill and strategy. And then going home with a tag without a tag filled, if I did a DIY than if I did a guided hunt. So obviously, on a guided hunt, your odds are higher. So maybe people say, "Oh, I'll take my bow because my odds are higher anyway." Um, but for me, if I'm doing, if I'm spending a lot of money on a guided hunt, I want a rifle that I can shoot 150 yards um, just to increase my odds because I spent all that money. Yeah, and and I'll. I'll kind of reiterate that where I'm looking at some guide hunts for me and my dad in the upcoming years and every single one of those, partially because my dad's preference, but partially because I want us both to have a good time and I want us both to experience getting an animal. I'm looking at taking the rifle for those. So again, I'm not opposed to taking a rifle, but if it comes to, if it's a tag that I can draw every other year, maybe even every three years, I'm okay with taking the bow and maybe eating the cost of a tag every now and then for uh, that challenge of getting one with the bow. Then, uh, Zach, I know you specifically had talked previously that you were limiting yourself, you know, in terms of what bucks you were shooting. So at one point you said you were looking for a three, three and a half year old bucks going out of state. Does your mindset change on that? Are you shooting anything legal or how are you approaching that? So my mindset absolutely changes based on where I'm hunting. Um, for example, when I was still living in Pennsylvania, um, in Pennsylvania, I had a goal of shooting a three and a half or older buck, just trying to challenge myself, shoot a more mature animal. But that same season, um, I went down and hunted in Maryland. And when I was hunting Maryland for whitetails, I told myself two and a half or older was my target. Um, I still couldn't quite convince myself to shoot that year and a half old buck. And that's all personal preference. If you want to shoot a year and a half old buck, I mean, more power to you. But in the, in the same sense, if, uh, if I was going to go hunt, um, just to keep it whitetail specific here, if I was living in Pennsylvania and I wanted to do a hunt in Missouri or Kansas, like I drew a tag in Kansas or, Ohio or, or Kentucky's kind of becoming a big buck state. Um, I think I'd have higher standards. I, I think I'd withstay, I think I'd stay with the three and a half year old or older, um, age class just because there is a more abundant number of those animals. Like uh, a lot of people in the whitetail, if you're a diehard whitetail guy, I mean, Iowa is like the dream. I, I got lucky. I got offered a job here. I accept that I moved here, but I haven't had a hunting season under my belt yet, but I can tell you I have seen bigger bucks here since I've moved here than I have my entire life in Pennsylvania. I've seen more mature bucks in one summer of living here than I did probably the last decade in Pennsylvania. And all I'm doing is driving around and looking at public land fields at night, or not even night, um, in the evenings, just glassing up soybeans. And if I was coming from Pennsylvania to hunt Iowa, I would absolutely keep a three and a half or older, or maybe even a four and a half or older standard, or maybe I'd go by inches. But um, I guess that's a little off topic here. But yeah, to to go back to your original question, my standards for for what I'm looking to harvest definitely change on where I'm hunting and uh, how I'm hunting. 
Yeah, my my standards. I mean, even just in Pennsylvania, change by season. I mean, Zach, Zach and Tyler both yelled at me multiple years because uh, we have a small chunk of private that we were all able to hunt, and I I've I'd like for example, last year I passed six different legal bucks in that property because I know I have a lot of hunting ahead of me. I still have rifle season. I hunt a lot with my family. I still have a two week flintlock season that I enjoy hunting as much as I can. Um, and I know what the area holds. I mean, we, we have a lot of deer, um, and a lot of, I would say the one and a half, two and a half year old class, but there's also a couple bucks that push those one thirty, one forties in the area. And I've seen them. So I, I kind of hold out based on how I'm hunting and the time of the year. Um, but that being said, for example, when Zach and I did the DIY in Wyoming, we were we were game for any legal buck. So, yeah, um, we both agreed before we went out there that we were shooting any mule deer buck that gave us a shot. Yeah, and for like for my elk hunt, I don't plan on shooting a a four by four or a four by five when I go out there, my standards are a little higher. Now, if that happens, it happens. Um, but going out there, my standards are probably five by five or better, sort of like how my standards, um, and some of, some of the standards, depending on what guide you use, are almost set for you. I mean, they prepare, they, uh, propose that you shoot a certain level. And I know a lot of whitetail outfitters do the same thing, uh, where they say on, on their lease, they have 120 inch minimum. Um, and there's like, I've seen on websites, maybe a $500, $500 feet shoot under that 120. Um, so they kind of set standards for you, but, um, there's nothing wrong with setting your own standards and whatever you set, as long as it's legal is no problem as far as the three of us are concerned. So no, I, sh I should reiterate. I mean, sometimes my standards change on the hunt. So when I went Wyoming for pronghorn a couple of years ago, um, when I first arrived, my standard was I'm not shooting any doe pronghorn. I'm only shooting buck. And then I got a little over halfway through the week and passed up some really easy shots on does. And I regretted it. And I, I don't know that I'd do it again but my standard certainly changed because then the rest of the week i was putting stocks on does um trying to get close and, and unfortunately it didn't work but and then um the second time i went to michigan uh i had a standard of i wanted a two and a half year old or better buck and i actually passed a <laughs> i passed two two and a half year old bucks for reasons i still can't quite explain to myself and then the last day came and i ended up shooting a year and a half because I I just did. Uh, he came in running, my heart was pumping, and I shot him. Um, and it's kind of funny that I, I got a buck that was smaller than bucks I passed earlier in the in the like four days I hunted there, but it is what it is. And uh, yeah, so my standards can change even even on the hunt as I'm doing it. Do you think when you're on a guided hunt versus a DIY hunt that there's added pressure to shoot that 
bigger trophy? Um, is it, are you placing it on yourself or are you placing it on the outfitter? Uh, how does that feel to you guys? I think I, I place it on myself and in my experience, my, all my guides, I can confidently say have worked, have worked hard, um, to get you on an animal and give you an opportunity. Um, and I can tell when they're frustrated or if the day isn't going as planned. Um, but they, they've worked hard and I know they put most guides genuinely care and they put pressure on themselves because they, they put a lot of time into this. Um, not just when you show up, I mean, they, they're doing this for months on end trying to give you a, a good opportunity. So I guess it's twofold. I mean, they put a lot of pressure on themselves, but when you spend the money to travel, whether you drove 30 hours or you spent 600 bucks on a plane ticket, there is an added pressure um, that you start to feel, for example, on day three, day four, day five. Like, I mean, Zach was able to fill his tag on day one and we were both feeling pressure by about the afternoon of day three because it was not going well for me. Um, so yeah, even DIY or guided, you definitely experience some pressure when you put all that time and effort into getting, uh, to one of these remote hunts. I, I definitely think the same. Um, there's certainly a pressure when it comes to, to both. And I think they're a little bit different. Um, I certainly feel more, I feel more pressure to get an animal personally on a guided hunt because I know the monetary value that I put out is more than for a DIY trip. Um, and on a DIY trip, I kind of come to terms with, you know, this might not result in a filled tag where a guided hunt, I mean, there's certainly by no means guarantees, but you go into it expecting that you'll at least get a shot. Um, or have some sort of opportunity and, and definitely there's some pressure put on myself from myself to, to get an animal. But I'd also say that, yeah, there, there's a fair bit of pressure on the guide there. And like Ryan said, you can tell when the guide really cares and wants you to get an animal and when the guide doesn't care. Um, I'm going to keep going back to, cause this was by far the worst guided experience I've ever had. It's the main bear hunt that I went to this last fall. Um, we got about halfway through the week and the guide was blaming the hunters for not seeing bear. Um, the guide was blaming us for, uh, we had two guys in camp mess up opportunities because they moved a little too fast. And, and instead of, of trying to figure stuff out, he just blamed hunters. And I, it was a, a baited bear hunt. I ended up sitting the same bait barrel, five of no sorry four of six hunt days um and then he just moved me to a different barrel that somebody else had hunted earlier in the week without success for the last two and come to find at the last day it was because he was saving spots for the next week's clients which to me was just incredibly disrespectful and it, you know, we're pay we were paying the same amount of money that the next week's client was, and the fact that he wasn't doing everything that he could to get the current client's bears was really upsetting and frustrating to a lot of the the, 
the people there to the point that the last day of hunting, there were three of us still hunting. Uh, everybody else left early because they realized how much a waste of time and money it was. Um, but on, on other hunts that I've been to with guides, yeah, there's, there's a pressure on the guide to, to fulfill their end of the bargain there. You're paying for their services to put you on animals. So I think a good guide certainly feels that pressure for getting it, his, his or her clients on animals. You guys both had mentioned that going and doing out of state hunts made you better hunters. What are some strategies or what are some takeaways that you brought back home to Pennsylvania that you really benefited from? Um, like I, I touched on it a little bit earlier for me, I think the hunting out of state that I've been able to apply the most has been the Turkey hunting experiences. Um, Turkey hunting, obviously in different parts of the country, there's different terrain. Uh, some of the, some of the subspecies of birds may act a little bit differently. Um, and obviously the timing of the, the mating seasons in the spring are a little different throughout the country, but overall what I saw in Virginia and Maine, I was able to directly apply to Pennsylvania. Um, whether it's tactics, like I said, whether it's when to move, when to be patient, um, how to set up in the morning, what set up on the uphill side or the downhill side, um, different various tactics, um, that I saw work on those hunts. I was definitely able to apply in Pennsylvania. Um, as far as my Western experiences, I think just that experience in general makes you a better hunter, um, moving slowly, patience, um, for example, stalking an animal is always a skill um, that you could apply in any situation. I mean, you never know when, um, may, perhaps during rifle season in Pennsylvania, you might have to close a hundred yards on on a feeding, on a feeding buck out in the field. And that experience in Wyoming, trying to stalk deer with a bow, um, is definitely going to benefit you. So there's always takeaways from any type of hunt, but I'd say the turkey hunting directly applied for me the most. Um, for me, uh, because I've been on more out-of-state whitetail hunts, uh, I would say, you know, hunting whitetails out-of-state has helped me tremendously in Pennsylvania because going somewhere to hunt whitetails on a very limited time frame and not having scouted the area before you have to scout until you find fresh sign. Um, if you just pick a spot on the map and, or pick a field edge and sit on it, you know, you're probably not going to find success. So that really taught me to hunt fresh sign and how to interpret deer movement. Um, particularly my, my first trip to Michigan. I mean, uh, the first couple nights I hunted there, I was struggling to find deer sign. I wasn't really finding anything. Um, the sign that I was finding was kind of old. I'd end up setting up on it anyway, because I had about an hour-ish to hunt at the end of the day. And I said, you know, a little bit of hunting here is better than nothing at all. Uh, my mindset has since changed from the subsequent trips. But uh, that first trip, 
I, I bounced around so much where back home, you know, you kind of get comfortable, you get those set. Oh, I'm going to go to the big Oak tree, or I'm going to go to, uh, the, the farm stand or the, the Creek bottom stand or whatever. And you kind of get these pre-established areas that you just bounce between where when you're on a, on a DIY whitetail hunt specifically, I think it makes you a better whitetail hunter because you need to search out and find that fresh sign and set up on it because otherwise you're, you're just wasting your time out there. Um, so that, that first trip to Michigan, uh, like I said, the first couple of days I was struggling to find deer and then I finally found fresh sign and, uh, found a couple of trees where the acorns were dropping, found some fresh open scrapes and, setting up on those i saw deer all but one sit i think between when i started finding deer sign to when i ended up killing my buck um which again it it took about uh it took about two weeks not not hunting every day um and because i knew i had a month to be out there i wasn't quite as aggressive as i would have been otherwise like the next time i went out to michigan which was the following year um I was extremely aggressive in my tactics. I pushed probably farther than I should have on some of the instances, but uh, I went out there with my buddy Eric. I have video of it, but it's never been posted where um, him and I walked a piece of public land. We walked three miles on a piece of public land, never found deer sign worth setting up on drove 35 minutes to a different piece and found sign immediately set up and, uh, ended up shooting a deer that night. I believe that night. I can't remember if that night is the night that Derek shot his doe or if that's the night that, uh, we didn't shoot anything, but went back the following morning and shot one. I can't quite remember, but, um, either way, it's just a matter of finding that hot sign. And I think that really made me a better deer hunter. And, hunting in Pennsylvania the last couple of years, I've had the most successful seasons I've ever had since doing some out of state hunting. Um, last year in particular, uh, it started out frustrating cause I, I had a ton of deer encounters, but just couldn't get anything close enough to shoot. Or when I would get them close enough to shoot, something would go wrong. Um, especially cause I was trying to, to self film it. But the last couple of years I've been getting on bucks more getting on deer more on public land. I had a buck on public land that I had patterned that I could have went in and killed him on any Northwest wind. I wanted to, um, I chose not to, he was two and a half years old. I wanted a three and a half year old or better. And he ended up getting harvested in rifle season, which, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I, I think, I think going out of state and challenging yourself with new terrain and, and that limited time frame really makes you a better hunter because you have to learn the deer in that area in such a short time frame. It just, it really drives home. This is what fresh deer sign is. This is what not fresh deer sign is. Don't bother with not fresh deer sign. So you've obviously had a large lifestyle change having moved across the United States recently as your out of state trips helped you prepare for such a quick turnaround on your upcoming season? I'd like to think so. Um, 
I'm not going to lie. I'm still struggling a little bit here. Uh, I've never really had a chance to hunt river bottom stuff, which is a lot of where the public land is in Iowa. Um, I'm not in Southern Iowa, unfortunately, where there's large tracts of more mountainous terrain. Um, so I'm still kind of learning the river bottom farmland stuff, but I'm, I'm getting on deer. I found quite a few nice beds. Uh, I went out scouting this last Saturday and ended up finding a large buck bed on an oxbow in the river and set up a camera on his clear entry and exit trail. Uh, it's the only trail that's pounded going back there and it goes to a bed in a small group of trees and every single tree has a rub on it from last fall. And honestly, I don't know that I would have looked there if, um, I hadn't done more state hunts and kind of, kind of gotten a better understanding of deer movement. Uh, there's a soybean field, maybe 300 yards away. I probably would have just set up on the edge of the soybean field and not really paid too much attention to it. But the, the out of state trips have helped me kind of learn how deer utilize a landscape. And even though it's a different landscape, you can still pick up on, on some similarities between, um, between everything. Obviously mountain deer and farmland deer are different and swamp deer and, uh, farm country deer are different but there, there's a couple couple key similarities that they share especially when it comes to to bedding um they want to feel secure when they bed bucks like to bed with cover at their back and they like to be able to see a long way if possible um they like the thicker stuff and and yeah it's helped me kind of narrow down on on certain areas that i want to want to focus my interest and like i said i've i've been fairly successful to this point i'd like to think i've been seeing a lot of mature deer out on fields um i've not done any camera checks but i've put quite a few cameras out to this point and this weekend probably is going to be my first camera check of the summer just to, to inventory an area that's about an hour and a half from me and um i'm expecting to see some good deer on it that's on a on a heavy creek crossing down in a little bottom where I just walked the bottom until I found the largest concentration of sign. And there was a scrape about 35 yards away, not active, but still there was a scrape there. So I know bucks are going to be using it, even if they're not now and put a camera there. Awesome. Hopefully we'll see some success on the channel this coming year. I hope to have a big Iowa buck on the channel <laughs> this year. So since both of you seem to have a preference in your type of hunt. Zach, you obviously prefer DIY, and Zach or Ryan seems to lean towards the the guided hunt. What's one guided hunt that's realistic for you to have in the next five years, Zach, that you want to take, and what makes you want to take that hunt? Uh, so, like I said um, earlier, my guided hunt of choice right now is I really want to do mountain lion with dogs. Uh, and I know that hunt's not for everyone, but it's a pretty realistic hunt. The average cost for that, from what I was seeing right now, is between 4500 and 6500 or so for a week-long trip, including lodging and food. And I feel that that's, that's fairly realistic. Um, what makes me want to do it is I, I just want a mountain lion. Um, in all honesty, I want a mountain lion. I want to do it with my bow. And 
I think part of the draw is I'm not entirely sure how much longer mountain lion hunting with dogs is going to be around. I feel like that's kind of one of the, one of the hunting methods and species that are up on the chopping block for ballot box biology, where there's just going to come a vote at some point in the States that allow it. And it's no longer going to be a thing. I think bear hunting with dogs is, is probably on the chopping block too. Unfortunately, um, a lot of that just comes from people not being, educated to to hunting animals with dogs or hounds but that's a different tangent i could get on um and you know if there's anybody listening to this that doesn't want to go on uh a mountain lion hunt per se one hunt that me and my dad love to do except for this last fall is bear up in maine um it's a high success rate hunt hunts are fairly cheap an expensive maine bear hunt is like 2500 bucks for a week and that normally includes lodging and food um and it's going to be over bait but it's it's a good time you only hunt in the afternoons it's normally a nice camp atmosphere you get to fish in the mornings it's a nice relaxing hunt bear meat is absolutely delicious if you've never had it before i love bear meat um i'd really recommend if people are looking for a kind of an inexpensive introduction into guided hunts to look into a bear hunt. And just to touch on what Zach said, so his is mountain lion. Um, I would love to do bear with hounds. And the three, the three of us have talked about this a little bit for the, like the next upcoming years. Um, it's a little more expensive than your average baited bear hunt, just because you have a dog or a dog handler and probably, I don't know how many they use, but I'd say a minimum of three or four hounds are usually on the ground. Um, so little background, I'm preferential to this. Um, my grandfather had coon hounds probably in the fifties and then fox hounds for probably 20 or 30 years and then beagles for another 20 or 30 years. Um, and I have my own, beagle right now that we're working on um you might see some some content on the channel coming up so he's he's doing a lot better he'll be a year old later in august but for me hound hunting has always been pretty special now when i came along the foxhounds were gone um basically for a lack of a lack of land um in the area they would end up on people's private farms too often. Obviously the foxes and the dogs can't read posted signs. Um, so it just, it just created too many problems. So my, my grandfather made the switch from foxhounds to beagles, but I grew up rabbit hunting um, from the time I was allowed to go. And I was going along when he was training the dogs from the time I was five. So for me, uh, kind of a, a hound hunt on steroids would be the hounds with bear. Um, so for me, I'd like to do that in the next five years, potentially before um, legislation changes and potentially makes it uh, not legal anymore in certain states. But I know Maine, I think Virginia still allows it. Um, and I know Maine allows it. There could be a couple more states down south, but uh, those are the two that I'm I'm looking at right now to potentially plan in the next few years. On the flip side, Ryan, what's one DIY hunt that really intrigues you 
that would drive you to chase something? Uh, one that I come back to and I've, I saw, ironically, I saw it done on meat eater. Um, but Zach and I have talked about it a little bit. So Montana spring bear and Turkey season has some overlap. So the, the next DIY, if, if it's not a fall deer hunt somewhere, um, I would like to go out to Montana. You can, I believe the tags are over the counter. Zach can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they are, uh, for bear. Um, yeah, I, I think every West, I don't know that there is a Western state where bear tags aren't over the counter. I think so either. Cause I know, I know from my research in Colorado, they're also over the counter there, but a Turk, a Turkey hunt combined with a bear hunt for maybe seven days out in Montana, um, would be, really really cool um so that that would be the top of my my current diy list awesome do you guys have a drive to let's say complete a a grand slam like you would in turkey hunting oh absolutely for 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 me absolutely actually i wanted to have my grand slam completed already i just unfortunately life kind of gets in the way of of some of your goals um yeah, I'd, I'd love to love to complete the the turkey grand slam. Um, maybe yeah, by the time I'm 35 or so. <laughs> yeah, my goal was to do it by the time I was 30, and then you know you had to work. So, um, <laughs> but you being an accountant, turkey season is kind of the hardest season for you to really travel and do hunts during. Well, I can I can pull off the the Merriams. Um, and the Rio Grande, but uh, the Osceola season kind of messes with me pretty good. Um, so maybe that'll probably be last on my list just because of timing, but I, I'd like to get, I know my dad wants to try to do it too, and he's 62. So he, I, we got to start thinking about doing a Merriam's or a Rio in the next couple of years as well. And I, I, just going back to your your previous question to Ryan um, about the the DIY hunt, um, my DIY like the DIY hunt that I would I would absolutely love to do the most is probably Alaskan caribou. Um, I really want to chase caribou, really really want to chase caribou, and uh, that's something I've kind of talked about with you guys a little bit. So maybe you the listeners should listen or should look out for uh Boo Outdoors caribou hunt in, I don't know, three, four or five years or so. So you better subscribe so you can see it when it comes out. And if anybody listening has happened to done that, whether guided or non-guided, uh, we would love to hear your experience. Yeah. Um, send us a message. Send us a message, shoot it in the comments. Um, Cause we're, we're really thinking about it, but it's a lot of planning and, um, I know timing is huge with the DIY because you can show up and you might not see anything for three days. And then the next morning you wake up and there's 2000 car- caribou in front of you. So anybody that's experienced that, we're more than happy to talk to you. Any final thoughts either of you guys would like to share with our listeners today? I, I'd say if there's any hunt out there that you want to do, don't put it off. 
get out there and do it, whether it's DIY or guided. If it, if it's guided, you know, it might take a couple years of planning, but start saving your money for that, that dream hunt, start uh, researching guides, start buying points. If you need points for it, get out there and do it. Um, you know, none of us are, are ever really guaranteed tomorrow. So if there's something you really want to do, make sure you make it a priority. And like, like Zach said, I mean, you do your research, you might need to have preference points for three, four, five years, but you know what? That's great because if you put away $50 a month for those three, four, five years, you've got your hunt savings paid for. So having to wait isn't always a bad thing because it allows you to afford that once in a lifetime or maybe once every 20 year um, hunt opportunity. So Tyler, before we, we go here, I want to ask you, um, what's your, what's your dream hunt like guided or, or DIY, or maybe you have a dream for both of them. What's yours right now? A hundred percent is a guided moose hunt in Canada. Uh, I've always wanted to shoot a moose. That's why I bought a 300 wind mag as my first rifle. Just always watching those moose hunts was just exhilarating. I mean, archery or rifle i don't have a preference if it's going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity um obviously i want to make sure my success rate is as high as possible so i'd probably bring the rifle uh, but right now a guided moose hunt would just be on the top of that um diy obviously for those of us who live on the east coast the west is this magnificent this magnificent area that we always want to go to. Um, and it has all these animals that we don't have the opportunity to hunt around here. Um, so obviously elk, if you pull an elk out West, it's most likely going to be a lottery tag. I don't think there's many over the counter anymore. Um, that's obviously most likely going to be a guided hunt if I ever get that opportunity. Um, but mule deer, like you guys did extremely accessible, multiple States, a lot of access to public land. It's, you know, within a drive. Um, so, I mean, you can keep costs down. Um, so I think chasing mule deer out west would be would be awesome. I mean, obviously, like you guys said, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Um, I'm not ready to commit to anything right now. Um, but I think going out west to chase a mule deer would be, would be awesome. Obviously, if you guys could tag along, that would be even better. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to add that when you asked, uh, what the advice would be one of the other, probably the other big piece of advice I'd say is get some good hunting buddies and, and, uh, make sure they're along for this kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that, you know, it's memories that'll last a lifetime. Um, Ryan and I still find ourselves messaging each other every now and then with just a random picture that we took from Wyoming saying, I want to go back. Um, these, these hunts, they, they don't have to be Western hunts. Just get some good hunting buddies together, go out and and make some memories. Whether it's your your dad or a buddy from high school or college or or some guy you met online and you guys had a great connection and became good friends. Just get out there, man. Get out there. Yeah, I agree. I think that gets lost in the hunting industry is just the pure enjoyment of the opportunity to 
do things not only for yourself, but with the people that you enjoy doing them with. And I think the hunting industry, you know, makes it ugly sometimes, but I think it's important to remember that. All right. I'm sure we all had fun today. Thank you guys for joining us today. We'll have some links in the description for videos from Zach and Ryan's previous experiences out of the state. Remember to join us next time on the move with Move Outdoors. Have a good night.